Welcome to Inside the Writer's Cafe. I'm Cheryl Nason. Our show features the hottest authors and introduces you to exciting new authors talking about themselves and their latest books. The show today runs the gamut from cold to hot. Ambassador Thomas Graham talks about his new chilling novel, Sapphire, A Tale of the Cold War, and Lori Wilde brings the heat with her latest sizzling romance novel, Back in the Game. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Ambassador Thomas Graham. From 1970 to 1997, Ambassador Graham was a senior diplomat for the United States. He's the author of six books on international security, and Ambassador Graham is currently the executive chairman of the Lightbridge Corporation. He's also involved in teaching at Georgetown University, the University of Washington, Oregon State University, and Stanford. Ambassador Graham is with us today to talk about his latest book, Sapphire, A Tale of the Cold War. Welcome, Ambassador Graham. Cheryl, thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Tell me a little bit about, now that I know that I'm about to ask you a question that's very difficult because I start, I've read the excerpt of Sapphire on Amazon. It's a very complicated book. Can you give our listeners just a little bit of an overview of that book and then you and I can talk about some of the things in it? Well, I will uh, try to do that, Cheryl. It's essentially a, a story a tale of of Cold War times when the nuclear confrontation was at its most dangerous phase, and a young woman uh, who graduate of Middlebury College uh, University, I guess it's college, um, brought up in Washington, whose father was a senior official uh, in the Central Intelligence Agency, and before that. Um, uh, in the OSS during World War II, uh, persuades her uh, to become a, uh, an, an, uh, a, an employee of the CIA herself. Uh, she's very good with languages. Um, uh, she becomes involved initially with the summit meeting in 1955 uh, among Eisenhower, Khrushchev, and the British and the French at which um, the idea of opening each country up to airplane flights to reduce uh, the risk of nuclear war uh, was brought up and rejected by the Soviets, and, uh, but the CIA doesn't want to give up, so they send her into uh, the Soviet Union uh, under the cover of being an art dealer with a Russian name to try to advance this cause. And she's involved in a number of other similar uh, situations, uh, some of them based on historical fact, uh, some not. And uh, I try to to get across the idea that this was a very dangerous time. She was a very interesting person who took some extraordinary risks on behalf of her country, uh, her family, uh, and, and the causes she believed in. Was there a particular individual or a particular situation that inspired you to write fiction 
I know your six books prior to this had all been nonfiction. Nothing in particular, Cheryl. Uh, I, I wanted to see what it was like to write fiction, having written uh, six nonfiction books. I do like to write, and I do like to tell stories. And the story of Sapphire uh, is one that came to me some years ago, uh, just sort of, I don't know, drifted into my consciousness, and uh, I thought it might be a good story to tell in a book if I wanted to write fiction. So that, that's sort of what led me to write this book, and I didn't work at it steadily, but off and on, over a period of eight years, I interrupted it once for two and a half years. Well, I wrote a book about the Middle East, and and of course I do other things as well. So uh, it was the story that and the desire to write fiction that, that that led me to write this book, and of course expand somewhat on the story. I really enjoyed the book very much. The excerpt that I've read, and Linda Blaine is the young lady that is being brought into the CIA. Now, I thought it was very interesting that you you talked about her father. Her father had taught at Princeton, was a very interesting character, and you give us a great deal of his background. And when we really start to meet Linda, she understands that coming into this organization at this moment in time as a woman is going to be very different and very difficult. I like the fact that you brought that up because I think that that makes the story have a real smack of reality to it. Yes, in those days, uh, uh, Cheryl, um, the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, was dominated by white male Ivy Leaguers. Uh, and and uh, it was founded by by people like that, and uh, for many years, that culture was was dominant dominant within the agency. That time is long past, but in the 1950s and 60s, uh, that that is very much the way it was. <clears throat> there were a few women uh, in the CIA, but not very many, and uh, that contrasts a bit with the OSS, or the Office of Strategic Services, which was our intelligence uh, uh, organization during World War II. Uh, there were a number of American women, and, and also French and British uh, women, uh, uh, who uh, became spies and, uh, and underco undercover agents. Uh, during during the war and to help advance the cause of the Allies. So uh, women are by no means, uh, uh, were by no means in those times, uh, strangers to espionage and, and intelligence work. But uh, the CIA in its early years definitely um, had very few of them, and uh, it, for for a young woman uh, joining joining the agency at that time, it was that was bound to be a challenge. Is there significance to the word, the name Sapphire? Well, 
Sapphire, that's of course her code name, her private code name with her father and just a few other people. It's not wasn't even widely known within the CIA in in the story. Uh and it's uh it was her pet name when she was a little girl because she had bright blue eyes and her father used to call her my little sapphire. And that's where the term comes from. And I just thought that um, it, it it was it was a good term, a good code, a good code name, a good private code name. I agree. I like the way that you have fleshed out the novel with her family. We meet her father. We meet her mother briefly. She has two brothers. One that they're both very athletic and not like her at all mm-hmm. and you have one become a basketball coach and then that's um, actually Robert and then the younger brother Jackson is a swimmer and a would-be Olympian I thought that all of those facts that you gave us about siblings and about her family again create more of a reality about the story mm-hmm. there's, there's yeah. I want to talk about her friend the Russian Anton, am I saying this correctly, Karpov? Uh, it, uh, it's uh, um, you mean you mean the, the the general, the the young man that she's gone to school with and that's been a childhood friend. Oh, oh, oh yes, the, I'm sorry, her his, friend. Yeah, and his I dad was the Russian. To her, the the person she meets in in the Soviet Union. Uh, yes, Karpov, that's his name, Andre. And his father is, uh, who's a very senior KGB agent, Sergei. Yes. I thought they were very interesting characters. And the way that you describe their relationship, you talk about their schoolmates, but they're never allowed to play together after school. You know, they often say to authors, write what you know. Being in the position that you were in, you probably have an insider perspective that those of us who are simply regular people would never have. Is this something that is a a common situation between children of diplomats? Well, yes and no. Uh, But uh, during those times between... Americans and Soviets, uh, I think that it probably uh, was reasonably common, although there weren't all that many friendships uh, between uh, uh, young young Amer- American children and, and uh, Soviet uh, children, because especially uh, families that were involved in intelligence work. But I, I think generally... Uh, that in situations like that, uh, that was not, not not uncommon, and even with respect to diplomats, um, um, uh, countries place all kinds of restrictions on uh, the social experience of of diplomats and certainly their families. Uh, with respect to countries that are adversaries or enemies or are not trusted, so it's not not unusual to have special certain restrictions like that. 
you're such a fascinating person. I'm sorry that we only have 15 minutes to talk with one another, and I know that our listeners are very interested in not only Sapphire, your new book, but also perhaps in the six other books that you have written. If they want to find out more about you, where can they do that, Ambassador? Well, uh, Cheryl, I, I, uh, you, you can Google me. Uh, and what uh, Google, I believe, uh, pretty much always does uh, is take uh, the person doing the search to my Wikipedia page. And uh, there's uh, the, the Wikipedia page is essentially my background information, my, my CV writ large, if you were, uh, and uh, has has a reasonable amount of information uh, about me. Um, I also am on Facebook um, and Twitter, and I have a website. But uh, those three sites are under very, very various uh, degrees of uh, construction. Uh, I haven't done much yet with my website. I've only had it. A, fairly short time, but I plan to develop it. Uh, Twitter, uh, the same. I've done a bit more on Facebook. Excellent. Now, where is Sapphire available at this point in time? Obviously, it's on Amazon because I read a wonderful eight-chapter excerpt that, as I told you before we really started speaking uh, on the radio, uh, I, I came to the end of it and I thought, what? Wait, what's next? <laughs> so I know that it's out there on Amazon. Where else? <laughs> yes, it, um, that's, it's the first eight chapters, and um, uh, it's, um, it does sort of get the story going. Uh, well, you can, uh, Barnes & Noble uh, has it, uh, the Author House, web, uh, Author House uh, um, site has it. Um, there's other... Um, other sites that have it, uh, you, you can Google the book, and the, uh, Google will tell you. Uh, there, there, I think there's eight or ten different sites uh, where you can you can get it. Uh, now, the, I don't know about bookstores uh, yet. It's only been in print about two weeks, and so uh, I I just don't know about bookstores to what degree. Uh, it, it's in bookstores, and and uh, but it is these these websites or uh, 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 these various sites, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and so forth, are very easy to get to, and you can definitely get either the online version or the print version. That way, I, I know I have several friends who've done that, and I have one friend who's. Uh, I mean, it's as I say the. The, the print version's only been out a very short time, and but he's read the book all the way through, and uh, uh, and has commented uh, to me uh, on it and uh, very positively, and so um, I, I hopefully will hear more comments like that. Well, Ambassador Graham, it has been an absolute delight and a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you so much for being our guest. Well, Cheryl, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to Inside the Writer's Cafe, brought to you on webtalkradio.net. I'd like to introduce you to New York Times best-selling author, 
Lori Wilde. Lori has written more than 78 books, translated into 26 different languages, and excerpt in magazines like Cosmo and Redbook. As an award-winning writer, she's won the Colorado Award of Excellence, the Wisconsin Right Touch Award, and the Golden Quill, among others. She's joining us today to talk about her soon-to-be-released novel, Back in the Game. Welcome, Lori. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it's always so much fun to talk to you. You and I have been talking about your writing for, I guess, really longer than either of us want to admit. Usually, your books are about cowboys, but Back in the Game is a little bit different. So tell me a little bit about this new book. Um, yeah, this is going to feature, um, it's another small town Texas book like most of my books are, but this one is going to feature a baseball team. Um, there, it's usually, the stories usually take place off season or the team players are, are injured. Uh, if we had it during season, there wouldn't be much time for romance. So we, ha- we have to make concessions to the fact that they're falling in love. I love it. I love it. You know, one of the things that you do so well is exactly what you just said. You create fictional, small-town, Texas towns, and this one is named Stardust. Now, is there really some town that you've used as a little bit of a model for Stardust? Well, I was inspired by uh, the folks at this this uh, bookstore in Terrell, Texas, called Books and Crannies. And when I did a signing there, the entire town came out for me. They put me on the front page of the paper. And um, at Gail and Ron Harris own the bookstore, Books and Crannies. They have this lovely cat that was a Katrina um, hurricane survivor named Maddie. Um, I've, Maddie appears in the book under a pseudonym. And... Um, <laughs> I just, I just, everybody was warm and welcoming there. The mayor came to see me. It was, it's just an amazing little uh, community they have going on there. But I wanted to, in the book, I wanted to explore East Texas. So I moved, I took that community that I felt there and moved it um, a little bit further east to, to Jefferson because I wanted the atmosphere of Jefferson and the Caddo Lake area. Um, so I, I took literary license and, and found a real life community and, and moved it. <laughs> I think it's okay. <laughs> Yeah, literary license. I can do what I want to. I'm I'm the creator here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you know, that is one of the things that you do so well. Because we've known one another for a long time and I've interviewed you over a period of time in your career. One of the things that I've watched happen with you is that your characters have deepened. You've always had a way with dialogue. Your dialogue is wonderful, but your characterizations have deepened and they're much broader than they used to be when we first started talking about it. So I've watched you, I have to say, I I feel very privileged. I've watched you grow as a writer and it's not a surprise to me that you win awards and that your books have been translated into 26 languages and that they're excerpted in, in major magazines like Cosmopolitan and Red Book. We're getting away from the new book. Now, it's not out yet. I want our listeners to realize that this is really a pre-publication interview. We're talking about back in the game before they can even get it, but they can go to your website, just like I did, and read a little excerpt. Let's give them your website so they know where it is. 
Well, thanks, Cheryl. Uh, my website is just www.loriwild.com, and you can pre-order the book, and if you pre-order, it will show up on the day that it's to be released, which is February the 24th. And um, I'm also, uh, if you follow me on Facebook, I'm also having a contest for people that pre-order the book can be entered to win a $100 gift card to Amazon, so pre-order that book. <laughs> oh, great idea. Great idea. Now, let's talk about Brianne Carlisle. She's your mm -hmm. heroine, your your romance person in this novel. Tell me a little bit about Brienne. She's from Stardust? Yes, she's from Stardust. Um, she was uh, born with a heart defect to a, a young mother who, who left the hospital and abandoned her there. And uh, her um, adoptive mother was one of the volunteers who, who rocked her as she was healing. So um, the... The story centers around a family who own an antique uh, store with a bookstore inside, and they have four adopted daughters, and all four of the daughters have very different histories. And so I wanted to explore what that sibling relationship would be like if everyone was adopted. And that was a, it was a whole lot of fun in this series to, to explore that dynamic. Now, you said series, so there will be more than one Stardust Texas book. Yes, I've, I've uh, written the second and third one, and I'm working on the fourth one in the series. I don't want to know. I want to wait until those come out. Rowdy Blanton. At one point in time, Brienne feels like she's been, quote, Rowdy Blantonized. <laughs> I love that because Rowdy Blanton is this star baseball pitcher. How did you decide to make him a baseball pitcher this time? Um, I wanted to tell a story um, about about a retired um, athlete or athlete who's been forced to retire, wanting to write his autobiography but not really having the skills to do it and having to hire a writer. That was the idea for my story um, that, that came to me when, when I was thinking about a plot line for it. And so I just wanted to explore that. And after I turned in Brienne and Rowdy's story, my editor said, why don't we just do a whole baseball team? And I said, Okay. <laughs> So that's sort of how it became a series. Before that, it was just going to be a small-town Texas series, but my editor was the one that wanted to go ahead and turn it into baseball players. I think that's a great idea because it opens things up so much. Now, I know you well enough to know that you really do a lot of research around your characters and around the situation. So how did you research baseball, and are you a baseball fan? Um, I've been to many, many baseball games. Um, in my previous life, I was married to a, to a baseball fanatic, and uh, we went to the games and, and uh, all the scores. He told he he taught me all how it worked and and what what to do. So I, I had a jumping off point, and I actually used the real life um, baseball player uh, Bill Spaceman Lee. Really smart guy, totally out there, different from anybody else that ever played baseball. He's a lefty pitcher. And I used him sort of my inspiration for uh, Rowdy Blanton. Oh, that's cool that you use a real life guy. Did you interview him? Did you talk to him? I wasn't. I wasn't able to interview him, but uh, he. There were some some things with him on YouTube because he was an ambassador to Cuba, an official ambassador, and he would go down there and play baseball. And he just loved the people from Cuba, and he he did some videos. So I watched his videos, and there was a movie. Somebody made a movie about it, him doing that a documentary. I watched that. I read his autobiography. Um, I just researched him, but I'd already, I would already knew about him, but, and I knew that that's who I wanted to use as, as a model for Rowdy. So then I just dove into the research on him. 
that's what you do often is you use a real person as a basis for the character and that, now that does not mean that the the life that you create in this novel is this real person's life but you, you you'll often do that i know that your cowboys are often real cowboys that you have either met or that you've had the opportunity to go talk to am i right Yes, and it, it tends to be a compilation of people, <clears throat> like you'll take somebody's mannerisms and then you'll take somebody else's like little character quirk and, and, and combine it and, and, and turn it in. Because if, if you base it on somebody that you know or something that you've seen, um, it adds a, a, a layer of authenticity there that's not, you know, that might not be there if you didn't base it on something that you're familiar with. I know that you used a lot of images when you write. That's part of your process. And I also know that you're posting those images that you use on Pinterest. Tell me a little bit about the images that you've used for Back in the Game. Oh, uh, a lot of baseball images. Um, I have pictures of Jefferson on my Pinterest board. Um, picture, there, there's also, it's a little, got a little bit of a magical element in it, just a small amount, where the heroine finds a uh, trunk and um, she buys this trunk, and there's a legend that goes with the trunk about um, if you make a wish on the trunk and when you open it up, you'll you'll find something that will lead you to your true love. So uh, it has a little bit of that element in it, and um, I, I use things like that. And so there's a visual of, of the trunk and how I imagined it to look and the key that opens the trunk, because there's not a key. She buys the trunk and there's no key, and the lo no locksmith can open it, so she has to like try to find keys that fit it. And so there's keys, keys, key imagery, um, things like that in the book. And then there's the cat, um, which runs through all the series. And in the book, I made her a Hurricane Sandy survivor because the Hurricane Katrina survivor is getting a little old. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I use those kind of images in, on my Pinterest board. And um, there's a really, the cat's are really beautiful. The cat that I picked for the for the Pinterest page, the calico, but I, I, the cat I picked, I've never seen one that looks like that before. It's gorgeous. What about music? I know often you use music. Uh, yes, I use I use music to set the scene. Um, pick images and um, you know candles. I'll, I'll burn a scent. I'll pick a candle a scent for a book and I'll use that. Um, Yankee Candles is really good because they they have all these really vivid scents. And um, for um, my um, sound, I, I'll, I'll use Spotify, the app Spotify, and you can put all the, you can make your own playlist, and it will play the songs, and I'll play the songs as I write the book, and in fact, I, I line up the songs to match what's going on in the story, like when they're first meeting, it's going to be a different kind of song than when they, they're breaking up, or, you know, when, when they're falling deeply in love, and so I find songs that fit the pattern of the story. I think that's a real insight for our listeners into the way a very successful author creates their work. And I, that's why I wanted to bring this up, because I know often people don't really know the process behind creating characters, book, action, etc. But you actually have to set a scene for yourself. Well, I, I, I actually started doing that when um, I was writing six books a year when, for two different publishers. And when you're writing that much, uh, most people don't know that, you know, they think you write the book and you turn it in. But then you'll have revisions, and then after revisions, there's line edits, and then after line edits, there's galleys. So there's all these different stages in the production of a book. So you may be writing one book from one publisher, get 
revisions from another publisher get uh, galleys on a different book from the another publisher so that you may be working on four projects at a time. Wow. So I had to I had to come up with this as a way to pull myself into the story that I had to be working on. So that I had as I shuffle from story to story I would start to get them confused and, and who am I talking about now? <laughs> so if I have these images and these sounds and the scent, it will pull me into the world that I'm supposed to be in. And it was just basically how I discovered this process was basically a defense mechanism. <laughs> I love it. I think it's a great idea. But I think it's unique, I, I, and I think that our I like I like to lift the curtain a little bit and let our listeners sort of look behind the curtain and and see what the wizard really looks like back there. One of the things. Well, I that, agree. I agree with that because I think people a lot of people believe that writing is just kind of magic, and I know some authors that are really like this that they don't want to know how they do what they do because they feel like that'll ruin it. Uh, I'm the opposite. I said let's pull back the curtain and let me, you know, show you what you can do because anybody really. Um, that has a deep desire to write, can do it, I believe. Um, they can learn how to do it. If they've got some character trait that's holding them back like they're not good in grammar, well, that's easy. Go learn grammar, you know. <laughs> good. There's things you can do uh, to become, if that's really your dream, I think if you've got that kind of um, drive to do it, then, then you've probably got enough talent. There's something in you that's whispering that this is something you should do. Well, how can they find your page on Pinterest? What do they need to do? It's just Lori Wild. Uh, they have to be on Pinterest, but it's open to the public, um, so anybody can just go on there on, under Lori Wild, and I'll have my boards, my Pinterest boards, are the title of my books, so they can go and see what I'm looking at when I'm writing. Now, I know that you're on social media. We've given the website www.loriwilde.com, so they can go there and read an excerpt of the new book, Back in the Game. What about Facebook and Twitter? How can they reach you there? How can they find you? Um, I'm, I'm just Lori Wild on uh, Twitter and Facebook. You can just search for me as Lori Wild. And make sure that it's got that E on the end. That's right. <laughs> well, one thing that I want to point out in this book that I thought was so cute and so clever, you have Brienne. There's this big accident that happens in the opening of the book, and she's she gets hit with, ironically, a baseball. And Rowdy just happens to be there, and she's reading, guess what, a romance novel titled <laughs> Love's Throbbing Fury. Lori, I laughed out loud when I read that detail. I just thought that was such a great little detail for you to put in the book. Why did you make her a romance reader? Well, she's just a reader, you know. She she owns a bookstore, and so she and and she's a writer, and so she she's of course a reader. If you're going to be a writer, you have to be a reader. And um, I thought, well, what would be most embarrassing for her to for him to see, <laughs> other than her leopard panties? Yes. So, uh, but but she she loves romance novels, and she's not ashamed of them. But she's a little bit embarrassed when you know because she thinks he's really good looking, and and uh, that kind of title leads leads to you know sort of. Spicy thoughts, and <laughs> I love it. It, it embarrasses her a bit. Lori, our time is up. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Best of luck with Back in the Game, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me here, Cheryl. It's always a delight to talk to you. Our time is up, and we'd like to thank you for yours. Remember, pick up a good book and read.